I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Rohan Nathani, joined today by my good friend, the star of my latest Be Real, and the author of the book, Blood in the Garden, Sports Illustrated senior writer Chris Herring. Herring, you're already shaking your head. Because you, you you like find a way to top your intros like every time or but then by top I mean like absolute absolute bottom uh, <laughs> one of your intros every week and I don't know how it's done but you're very good at it. Thank you. I take pride in in keeping you off guard with my introductions, Chris. We have an important housekeeping note to get to, but before we even get to that, I just need to tell you that we had a meeting with our NBA staff yesterday. You and I were both on it. And we started talking a little bit about Mexico City. You know, the NBA played a game there this year. And all I could think about was man on fire. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> so you are so you keep me off guard with all the other stuff, but you mentioned man on fire every other podcast. Exactly. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Um, just had to get that out there. I made a friend watch it recently for the first time. He saw what the hype was about, to say the least. That's a good friend yeah. that you are to, to yeah. have him watch it, to suggest it to him. Um, Chris, I mentioned an important housekeeping note. I know that we at the Open Floor podcast have been on a little bit of a weird schedule lately, and I just wanted to let everyone know that we are moving our episodes to once a week. The plan now is for the episodes to come out on Wednesdays. Um, We still love doing the podcast. We're excited to do the podcast. People just have crazy schedules and a lot of things going on so unfortunately we'll be going down to one episode per week but i know herring and i are still very excited to talk hoops i get very excited to talk basketball with chris herring every week so please keep tuning in we appreciate everyone who listens to the show we appreciate everyone who emails to the show you guys mean a lot to us but for now at least the plan is to go down to one episode per week chris 
a lot to get to on today's show. We've now kind of officially reached the halfway point of the season for almost every team in the NBA. You wrote a piece that I want to talk about. Before we get there, we did have some good games last night. We're recording this episode on a Friday morning. The TNT Thursday games are back, baby. Uh, we had Lakers-Mavs, a double overtime thriller. Uh, the Heat um, eking out another win. Um the Celtics and the Nets. Nice win for Boston. Both teams missing some key guys. Obviously, the Nets, especially without Kevin Durant. Chris, where do you want to start? Uh, you know, we talked about how much we enjoyed these games last night. Um, what caught your eye? Um, if I'm being honest with you, uh, of all the things, I thought it was Luca playing like 9,000 minutes. Mm. Uh, granted, they won the game, but I, I just wonder. I've been wondering for a minute anyway, but like I wonder about the sustainability of that. Um, I calculated it out and tweeted about it that he played the last 41 and a half game minutes of that game. Uh, and obviously it goes double OT. So at that point, you're not going to pull someone. But um, Jason Kidd's been playing him basically entire second half uh, at times now. And for a guy that already has the highest usage in the league, I also don't look at Luka and see LeBron, you know, as far as the you know, he's been in better shape for, I would mm. say, the last year now. And uh, so who knows? Like Jokic was a guy that people kind of got on him for his, whether he was in shape, whether he was slightly out of shape to start every season. Um, and people were starting to do that with Luca. He responded to it and he's been, um, you know, he's kept himself lighter ever since then or kind of um, in better conditioning. I still don't know if that's something that you want to do. I think it's a little bit different for Joker where he's a big as opposed to someone that is controlling the ball every time up and down the floor for a team that literally, I mean, shout out to Christian Wood for being the the number two that he's been. But Mm. uh, I mean, there's no other real like consistent ball handling, not to mention that Dallas is shorthanded right now too. So I, I didn't love that. Um, They did win. I I just wonder. And I, I think I even tweeted at one point last night, uh, very interested to see what happens in this game. Like Dallas at the time, I think had like a seven point lead or so. And it was like, you know, that was in the middle of the fourth. And it's like, okay, Luca's going to get really tired here. What happens when he doesn't really have it? Um, you know, the Lakers are going to come back and, and win or, or, you know, make it competitive. And obviously they took it to overtime. And in my opinion, they probably should have won. You know, but the other thing I would have started with, but I don't want to start a pod like that, is the officiating in that game was horrendous. Oh my god! And, and maybe the worst I've seen, probably the worst I've seen this season. Uh, the two minute report today should be comical. Uh, the last two minute report, but the the Luca thing I think is a bigger deal. Obviously, officiating will be up and down, but the the Luca thing, win or lose, I I don't love that for this team. And as we're looking at all these players throughout the league. Staff, uh, Booker, uh, CP3 was out, um, you know, and it seems like more more or less like every star player is like taking their turn getting hurt. Uh, Anthony Davis, obviously, uh, that Luca Dallas can't afford for Luca to be one of those guys. And I just kind of feel like when you're playing him as long as he's playing in some of these games, it's just not good news for Dallas. For sure. First of all, definitely one of the most just viscerally bad officiated games I've seen in a long time. The jump ball LeBron got late in the game was a joke. The lack of a foul on Hardaway at the end of regulation, they'll say it was a high five. I don't think anyone believes that. Um, I agree. It felt like the Lakers had a couple opportunities to pull it out. That's a, a gutting loss. But 
you're right. You're right on the money about Luca. And there's a way. It's kind of like everyone's always like, "How did Tom Thibodeau's Bulls teams overachieve during the regular season?" I'm not saying this is the reason, but one reason was he played his guys a ton of minutes. Like, yeah, one way to win in the regular season is basically play a playoff rotation. Don't sit your stars. That's why there's teams that sometimes get caught up to in the postseason because now everybody's playing their best players, and your your ability to play longer minutes matters less. I thought it's interesting. You mentioned Devin Booker. Something that Monty Williams said after Devin Booker, he had his 58-point game. He missed the next couple games with a groin injury. He played like four minutes in Denver on Christmas, but it has not played since. Something Monty Williams said the next game, after Devin Booker's 58-point game, that's the last full game he played, it was in mid-December, he said, I just played him too many minutes. That's that's why he got hurt. He Monty Williams took responsibility. I, I played him too many minutes. It's not just can your body handle it within one game? Are you going to get fatigued? But this is how guys get hurt, is you get hurt when you're fatigued, when you're laboring, when you're trying to push through something. And for the Mavs, I mean, they've climbed up the standings, but I think it's a very good point you make to point that out. It, it's going to be interesting to see if they can avoid any kind of injury with Luka because if he gets hurt in any serious way, they're they're in really deep trouble. So I think that's a very uh I keep saying point. I don't know another word for point. It's a salient point you made there, Chris. Well it's you know it's, and it's interesting too because I think um you know we we'd have to wait and see. I I, I feel like this season and I'm I'm always happy to acknowledge where I've been wrong. I, I picked the Mavs to beat the Warriors last year in the uh, in the playoffs. <laughs> this For is instance. the opposite end of the spectrum of your Giannis. My, my Giannis beating my chest. Yeah, yeah. Where you just keep bringing this up. To be no, like, no, no. But you know what? In all seriousness, like I, I, I want to. I'm, I'm happy to like call out the, the times I've been wrong. I, I feel like I've been wrong, not necessarily on like huge picture things, but like the intermediate things of like, oh, this injury to this player is really going to just, this team's going to bottom out. <laughs> Steph, Steph. Yeah, the like, Warriors somehow, yeah. That made no sense. And I, again, I'm happy to own it that I thought that they would be in real trouble. Their schedule was not necessarily the easiest during the time that he was out. And they've, they've essentially, you know, they essentially went 500, slightly over 500 with Steph out. Um, you know, I, I, I projected the opposite when Zion got hurt. Um, that I, the Pelicans might be the deepest team in the league. And I think, uh, what are they now? Six and one without him or uh, what happened? Did they play last night? I can't remember. Uh, but there's something like six and one without Zion or Brandon Ingram in the lineup. Uh, so it's it's kind of been a topsy-turvy year as far as, you know, how teams do without their star players and kind of how well they can compete. It's a real, the, the league is full of parity. Obviously, most people I think were wrong about the Jazz and how bad they would be or how much they would struggle. Indiana's doing what they're doing. So it, it's not to say Dallas like can't win. It just it doesn't seem the most likely. And I also think that they've got a, a, a much shallower roster than everybody else, which is why they're so, you know, they lean so heavily on Lucas. So, you know, if he does get hurt and people want to come back later and be like, ah, look, Dallas, you know, actually was like better than people thought. Maybe, and that might just be part of what this year is, but I, I do feel like they're less equipped to withstand that. They've got a bunch of guys that are, you know, three and D types and guys that kind of just stand there. Uh, when you have to ask them to do more than that, I think Dinwiddie would 
would maybe show that he's capable. Shout out to him last night too, because he you he sent looked the like tweet, he had a turbo burst. You sent the tweet that when did he turn into Sean Kemp? Dude, he was throwing down <laughs> hammers. What the hell was that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, he he just looked really rested. But someone tweeted at me. They were like, "Yo, do, do you have you considered that maybe because Luca is running the show the whole game and." you know, doing that in and out dribble and kind of the between the legs for 14 seconds of each play that maybe everybody else on his team like has a lot more burst in an overtime because they're really not touching the ball that much. It's an it was an interesting, point. it was a really interesting observation that I really hadn't considered that maybe they're not going to be exhausted the same way the Lakers players are, but it was a really interesting game, really good game, but uh, it, it was a little disappointing how bad the officiating was. Though. Yeah. I also just want to shout out the Thunder, real quick. They get a big road win in Philadelphia against a healthy Sixers team. Maxi, Harden, and Embiid all out there. Watching Embiid with Braves, and then also the Sixers playing on an alternate court. It was just <laughs> an awful experience for me. I was like, I was like, Embiid is the ball? Like the Sixers are playing? I I, yeah. I didn't like it. Um The Thunder played, they have, I think, the best third quarter net rating in the NBA. And last night, they played maybe the best third quarter I've seen a team play all season. Like, they went on a massive run. They opened the quarter with the lead. Philly tied it up. It was like 80 to 78. The next thing you know, it's like the, it's like 100 to 80 or something crazy. They go on a crazy run. And it wasn't like someone caught fire from three. or They just played incredibly sound defense, did a great job doubling Embiid. I... Embiid sometimes, man, just makes some turnovers that you're like, how many doubles have you seen in the post now? He, he, he reverts a little bit. Yeah, every now and then it's like, why are you making that ill-advised pass to the wing? Why are you bringing the ball down low when this um, – I think he had Isaiah Joe guarding him and was posting him up and got the ball stolen. Like, that just shouldn't happen. So, I mean, listen, Embiid's been unbelievable this season, and we haven't talked about him much on the show, and I feel bad bringing him up in this context, but it was just a master class third quarter from the Thunder. They went on this massive run. Shea getting to the line, getting to his spots. I uh, love what Josh Giddy has done, and on they're not a really good shooting team. They don't, At least they don't have a lot of guys who scare you, but on the nights when Muscala can hit a couple, like, they look really good. Um and I just, I just, I thought it was such a good third quarter for them. If you watch, if you listen to the show and you have League Pass, like I genuinely say, go back on the League Pass app, rewatch that third quarter. It was just such fundamentally sound basketball on both ends of the floor that I'm kind of impressed, especially after Chet Holmgren went down. It kind of felt like, oh, maybe they just kind of pushed this season into back into the tank, but. How ahead of schedule the Thunder seem? Yeah, man. I, you know, right as I, you know, I, I had the comment before. Where I'm like, you know, I like to own where I'm wrong. I, I'm, I'm gonna pound my chest again because I, I, I said, and our, <laughs> our old old friend of the pod kind of like did a double take via pod when I said I thought that Oklahoma City this year could actually be like a a, a playoff team if they really wanted to, and um. I mean, it's still we're still only halfway through the season, so the mm -hmm. second half is kind of when, you know, a team fades when they really become right. a real contender if they if they want to really make the playoffs. And obviously, by February, you've got to make a decision about whether you're going to actually go all in or not. It would be stupid for them to go all in 
I don't think they need to do that. But if they wanted to make a playoff run, they could go get like one guy. You know, they certainly could consolidate some of these 18 million picks they have and get one guy. What I like about this team is that they have a, a clear identity, I think. Um, mm. if, if you look at their kind of their four factors numbers, they're, they have the third best rate of forcing turnovers in the league. They have the sixth lowest turnover rate on offense. Um, they're not a great shooting team, but then you say that and you look at the guys on their roster. I'm just looking at basketball reference. They have nine guys on their team so far that have shot 35 and a half percent or better from three. Like, so on a team scale that, you know, they're, they're basically in the middle of the pack. Like they, they have very few guys that are great three point shooters, but they have, yeah, they have, they have no one who you're like, we, we can't leave them, but, but they'll hit just enough. Right. So because you have guys that can't just be left out there, guess who that creates a lot of space for like the guy that drives to the basket more than anybody in the league and Shea, um, you know, it's interesting because they they've got so much floor spacing, including their bigs, that if and when they do get Holmgren back and God forbid, because, they, you know, somebody made the comment on Inside the NBA yesterday, like, yo, if they get Victor Wimbanyama, uh, I don't even really think you'd need. I mean, you obviously would take him if you could get him. But my point is, like, if you have him and Holmgren, you'd probably just trade the pick and just get a, a bounty for that or trade Holmgren because like I don't think there'd be a a real reason to have the two of those guys because they both space the floor and they're both massive uh so you know pick whichever one you'd want out of that but they have bigs that can hit shots too um so it's just a it's a very very interesting team they have more ball handling than most teams in the league Mm -hmm. do when you look at Giddy uh when you look at Shea uh when they they've got Jalen Williams who's a huge guard um It's a really, really, really interesting team, a long team. We haven't even talked about Poku. You know, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. I mean, it's, I, I've always wondered to some extent teams that are great third quarter teams. I, I think just like with out of bounds plays and stuff like that, you want to see consistency with the numbers year to year to confirm that it's actually a thing. But we talk about Mark Dagnall, uh, that Nadagnall, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, uh, that when you look at something like that, them being a good third quarter team might speak to the fact that like, okay, they might have a really good coach too, that mm-hmm. like can really game plan at halftime and, and make adjustments at halftime. So it's by far one of the two, three, four teams in the league that I think is like most, most compelling to look at like what we expect from them next year. Uh, Cause I think a lot of people had the impression that Detroit would be a team like that this year, or at least at, going off of what last year was like, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. when they added Jaden Ivey and they got Jalen Duran and they went out and they got uh, Bogdanovich, that that was a team that could make a huge leap this year. And uh, you know, when you if you watched any of the Pistons preseason games, that looked premature. They looked overmatched in the preseason. But I, I, you know, if there's a team that we're kind of projecting forward, like I feel like okay, if they're not going to make a real push for the playoffs this year, which what are they like a game out of? They're two and a half games out of the sixth seed. And one game out of the tenth seed, tied with the Lakers at nineteen and twenty-three, a half game behind Man, Portland. Yeah, I mean, like if they really wanted to do anything next year, like I, I feel like the odds would be more for them than against them of yeah. like them making the playoffs if they wanted to. If they wanted to make one real trade to go get one real guy, um, 
I don't think anybody is assuming that the Thunder are going to go make a trade for a star, but they obviously have the assets to do it. And, um, you know, and maybe it would be smart to do because you imagine they're not going to be a team that really goes out and gets someone in free agency uh, of that caliber. So they're very interesting because they have the assets to do whatever they Mm -hmm. want. And they're already really like the, the star is pointing up for them so clearly. And it's just a very interesting team. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, big fan of theirs, and I agree. If they if they want to make some noise this summer, they're definitely in position to with all their picks. I think they have interesting tradable guys outside of Shea. And, yeah, they're right there in the West, man. It's crazy to think Portland's kind of on this massive slide right now. They lost again uh, last night. They've lost five in a row, now under 500. It's just been really up and down um, in the West this whole year. Chris, I want to get to you wrote – in the Playmaker newsletter this week, kind of some surprises from the halfway point of the season. I wanted to run through a few of them because I thought it was really interesting. Subscribe to Chris's newsletter if you don't already. Um, and there are some things in there that I think are really good big picture things that you hit. And their, their tentacles are kind of far-reaching in terms of their impact. And I want to start in Milwaukee. The Bucks. It looked for a while like the Bucks were going to have like the bad boys version of whatever a bad boys 21st century defense looks like. <laughs> they started the year just insanely hot on that end of the floor. They've cooled down a little bit. They're now three and a half games behind Boston for first place in the East, half game behind Brooklyn. You know, Brooklyn's without Durant. If they're able to survive, that'll be interesting. But I mean, Milwaukee's a. Cleveland's a half game behind them. Philly's close to them. Yeah. You mentioned a huge problem that they have is their half-court offense. The Giannis Giannis screening action has not been as – that was kind of the thing. When they finally – it took them so long to start going to that regularly, and once they did, it started dominating. Now, granted, this team's had a lot of injuries. Chris Middleton started the year hurt, came back, got hurt again. You know, Holiday's been in and out of the lineup. Atenacumpo's been in and out of the lineup. Joe Ingles only recently returned. But they can't score. <laughs> like, yep. um, And when you have Giannis putting up these monster numbers and your offense is still such a slog, it's pretty demoralizing. So, Chris, um, yeah, what do you what do you make of their offensive struggles? Are you willing to chalk it up to hey, they need their guys back? Or are you now in a position where you're maybe worried about Milwaukee? So I, I'm going to put a lot of it on just... You, they you have the fifth worst offense in the NBA. Right. So you you mentioned uh, before the, those Tom Thibodeau Bulls, which I, I always thought that they were really interesting from the standpoint of they pl- obviously played a lot of time without Derrick Rose. Um, and they held their own, you know, largely because of what you pointed out. They played their their best players long minutes, even when Rose was out, which was risky given that Rose might have gotten hurt for that same reason. Anyway, um, you know, they could hold the fort for just long enough. But then I, I, I've always wondered, and there's not really a way to determine it definitively, but I've always wondered if when a team goes without a guy for so long, then they finally get that guy back, and then they're right back out of the lineup again because they get hurt or because they like physically aren't right. 
I've always wondered if that kind of like it would be like if you ran a marathon, you get to the finish line, and then when you get through the finish line, like actually you've got another four miles to run. <laughs> like that has to be just kind of like God, like I you know, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. And I think the Bucks have enough defense to to stay competitive and win a lot of these games. But one, Giannis can't play every minute because Bud is not gonna, you know, Bud is not gonna be Jason Kidd here and play his superstar eight million minutes. Um, if anything, we've seen the opposite in the playoffs before where he's subbing Giannis out with like two minutes left in a game to get him a breather. Um, but I, I I just wonder on some level, like, are the guys exhausted from trying to hold down the fort for so long without Middleton? Also, Middleton is like the most traditional scar, star uh, lead floor guy that they have, really. Right. Uh, where I just kind of feel like creating Giannis is capable of doing it. Obviously, he's a great passer, but he's got deficiencies that make Middleton the more dangerous player of the two in certain moments, which is mm-hmm. why that stupid, you know, thing uh, a playoff run or two ago where we we're like, you know, Batman and, and uh, Robin, but oh, Giannis God. is Robin. Yeah. You remember? Oh, so like, yeah. but if you have to have those conversations, there's obviously some truth to it that Middleton is just the guy that he's more of a mid-range threat. Um, you know, he's more of a three-level scorer than Giannis mm-hmm. is. So I think that that takes a toll. I mean, if you look at it just on a base level, the role guys, uh, a lot of the bench players have just not shot well this year. Uh, Bobby Portis has had a, a perfectly fine year, but he's shot 32% from three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat Connaughton, normally a very good three-point shooter, one of the ones they rely on the most as a role guy, shooting 31%. George Hill, 31%. Joe Ingles, who's new to the rotation, but like is playing 20 minutes a game, 31%. So Wes Matthews, 31%. So I, I, there's something to be said, you know, when all those guys are shooting poorly, that I think on some level they're bound to come around at some point. Basically, everybody on this team is either shooting, you know, above league average, whether it's mm-hmm. Drew, Brooke Lopez, Grayson Allen, uh, Javon Carter has done that too. Or they're way below league average. And so I, I expect some of that to balance out, particularly with their role guys. I wouldn't be surprised if some of their main guys, some of their starters come down a little bit from three. But, I mean, the the easiest thing to look at and say that this is fixable is if Middleton comes back and he's healthy. And so he's expected back, it sounds like, very, very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I was worried that he came back for seven games and looked the way he looked, where he was a 32% shooter from the field, not even from three. Um, so if he's back and he's right i think that he really does fix almost all these things but um if he comes back and after two games he needs more time out or even after 10 games needs more time off at that point i'm i'm already slightly concerned if he comes back and he's not ready to play the rest of the season i'm very concerned about this team at this point yeah they just if they are not getting out in transition watching him in the half court is it's painful. Yeah. And you think about teams like Boston and Brooklyn, Milwaukee's competition in the East, they're incredible scoring-wise in the half court. Mm-hmm. And they're also both now playing top 10 caliber defense. Milwaukee has a worse net rating than the Phoenix Suns. They have a worse net rating uh, than the Sacramento Kings. Which is crazy. Despite being what? What are they like? Ten games over five hundred, and they're still yeah. 
Yeah, we're going to have to talk about one other team, not to jump the gun, but yeah. I, I was looking at it when we were, you know, you said we were going to talk about the Raptors and a team that has a positive net rating that is like yeah. four or five games under 500, right. which is interesting. But anyway, go ahead. I just, it's the Bucks are in a weird spot and I don't want to overreact to, again, a half of the season, Middleton has not been playing. We both still think Giannis is fantastic and it's a testament to him that he's putting up the counting stats that he is when the team overall has been just a little whatever. And they've, I think, also earned a level of, hey, we've made deep playoff runs. We don't need to peak too early here. We're not going to get too caught up in the regular season. But if you really want to zoom out and say that, let's say that you believe Boston and Brooklyn have passed them by, I'm just curious what their routes, avenues to improve the team are here. Are you just hoping Bobby Porter starts shooting better? Um, I think Javon Carter's giving them some good stuff. Are you hoping Beauchamp becomes a guy? But I don't know, man. I think that they need – I they just feel like they need an injection of energy. It feels like they've, yeah. they've looked – the same for so long. And I guess Ingles was maybe supposed to be that guy, but he's old. He's coming off a torn ACL. Yeah. I don't know, man. It just feels like they're lacking a little something. Just someone who gives them a little shot in the arm. And yeah. that, that could be on or off the court, frankly, but I, stale feels too harsh, but I, I don't, I don't love what I've seen from them, even though they, they do have a great record. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I think that's fair. I, I, I think it has been a while since we've seen Middleton on the floor with them and look mm-hmm. really good. And so, yeah. I mean, I, I do think maybe we're we're downplaying a little bit how big a difference he can make. But I also think that, um, let's be honest, if you remember back to the year they won the title, at the beginning of that series, they did not look particularly good. Mm-hmm. I mean, Phoenix looked like they were going to run away with that series. Same in that so, Brooklyn series, yeah. Right. So Middleton's been guilty of maybe not playing well in big moments too, and then obviously he can turn it around. But I, I, I will say, I, I was a little bit surprised that they didn't do anything really in the offseason. They made the, the, the slight gamble, if you would call it that, on Ingles, mm-hmm. who was a guy that was not going to be healthy to start the year. Um, but otherwise, this is basically the exact same roster. And um, I did think that that was a little bit interesting that they didn't, you know, they didn't do a whole, whole lot. You know, Javon Carter's there. Um, But, you know, I think they could maybe use one more guy who's capable of creating, like, I know they don't grow on trees, but like, I think a a TJ Warren type Hmm. for this sort of team, especially when you watch him with Brooklyn and, and granted, they have their own scoring problems right now without Durant, but um, somebody along those lines, they could just get you some quick baskets. Um, I don't, you know, one of the names that comes to mind for me, which is not my favorite, he's not my favorite player in the league, but I think someone kind of his, his, his sort of background is like a a Terrence Ross, where I've never quite understood why Terrence Ross plays for the Magic anymore. Uh, That's a a person I've not thought about in so long. Why is Terrence Ross not on the Bucks? That's a great point, Chris. Just somebody like that. And it's like, like I said, Terrence Ross, I, I, I like watching him play because when he gets hot, I mean, he's probably one of the most random sort of 50 point guys there's been uh, over the last 10, 12 years. But like just someone, someone that a, a, a team that's not a contender doesn't have like real true use for anymore. And someone that like on a contender, uh, you know, has more of a confined role where he's not just going wild, but also a player who's 
lack of defense isn't going to kill you because you've got good defenders around him. And a guy that when he gets hot, it's like, oh, this is why you have him. Uh, and so someone along those lines. And I think that, you know, someone that can handle the ball, but someone that's not going to forget that he's still like, okay, when he's out there with your key guys, he's not dominating your offense too much because you don't want that. And so I think he would be a great sort of guy. And and also like someone that can knock down an open shot uh, when he has it. And so I, I think that they would benefit from something like that. And I'm like I said, I'm just surprised that after the way they lost last season series to Boston, yes, Middleton wasn't there, but I, I still felt like they needed a little something else. And they basically came back with essentially the same crew, except for Ingles. Terrence Ross is a perfect name. And now I'm trying to manifest that. We need Terrence Ross on the Bucks. Yeah, man, I'm a little nervous about this team based on how it's gone so far. But you're right. Maybe I just been. It's been so long since we've seen Middleton uh, play at a high level that maybe that's just what we need. And I'm I'm hoping we see it because on paper, I really like the idea of them trotting out Holiday, Ingles, Middleton, and Giannis together. Whether it's Brook or Portis in that lineup, I think it could be really fun and it could be really interesting. Um, shout out to Pat Connaughton, by the way, who just has been a really solid player for them for years and will never get a full podcast segment probably, but shout out to him. Yeah, I just, it will be interesting to see what happens with the Bucks this year because the Celtics kind of seem to have the Nets number. Um, and I don't, I don't know if this means it's shaping up for even more of a Boston runaway to the finals, but I, I'm... I hope Middleton gets back and we can really judge this offense because it's disconcerting how bad it is to have a talent like Giannis and capable guys and Drew Holiday, some shooters, and still be this bad on offense. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and Paul McCartney about his life and career. Big bear of a man, it's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, Will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, What? Sergeant Pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favorite song in his entire catalogue Here, There, and Everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic, I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All that sitting and swiping, our backs hurt, our eyeballs sting. That's our bodies adapting to our technology. But we can do something about it. We saw amazing effects. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. There's no turning back for me. Make 2024 the year you put your health before your inbox. And take the Body Electric Challenge. Listen to Body Electric from NPR on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's jump to the Raptors. You brought them up earlier. They're four games under 500. You mentioned positive point differential. They've won a few games in a row here. Uh, let me get the exact number there, Chris. They're 19 and 23. They're sitting at 11th place. They're tied with the Bulls, but by virtue of a tiebreaker, they're sitting on the outside of the plane right now. Only one game ahead of the Washington Wizards. Did not see that coming. They're yeah. 19 and 23. Washington's 18 and 24. And that's with Toronto having won three games in a row. So they were seven games under 500 about a week ago. They're 19 and 23. And listen, they've had a ton of injuries this year. I wrote this week that I think that they should seriously consider trading Siakam, not because he's not a great player. I think he's obviously fantastic. Best season of his career. Yeah, I, I, he's been outstanding. I I'll make the quick argument for trading Siakam, but we don't have to get into a trade conversation because some Raptors fans. I don't some, mind it. Some Raptors fans oh. are getting upset with me online. Oh, so you're trying to dodge the the criticism. <laughs> That's why you don't want to get into it. Someone someone <laughs> someone said, "I think you're out of your mind," but I respect the fearlessness. Wait, can we? But but no, let's stop there. In all seriousness, so I imagine there are Raptors fans that look at this team and realize they need to tear aspects of it down. So they want to do that, but they don't want it to be Siakam. Like, I guess. Uh, but I mean, he's twenty eight. So unless so you're trading, unless you're trading somebody, like I mean, obviously you'd be trading someone else if you think they should make a trade, but not him. But like. What what exactly? How much higher? I don't, how much higher do you think his value is going to be? Like I, they said on Inside the NBA, which I don't know why I'm increasingly citing them, but I think that they make interesting points sometimes. Um, I, I I really do feel like if you strip this team down and trade off individual guys, the Raptors have the ability to swing the title race more than any team. Oh, with without the, a doubt, you know, Ananobi, and Ananobi could swing a title team. Yeah, Siakam certainly. I don't think Gary Trent could swing it, but he could be a really good pickup for someone. Oh, yeah. Van Vliet would be an outstanding pickup for someone, even though these guys have struggled. And You know, also, it's tough. They've had one lineup that's played over 85 minutes, and it's kind of their five-wing lineup, and it has a three-point at net rating, which is just not very good for putting basically putting all your best players on the floor together. Right. You mentioned Siakam's age. That's really what it comes down to. He's 28. Next year is the last year of his deal. Barnes is 21. It basically is, if you're going to build around Scotty Barnes, could, does it make sense to do it with Siakam in the fold? And there's a, there's a good argument for it, certainly. Siakam's very good. He probably still has four or five years left playing at a high level, by the, which time Scotty Barnes will still be in, only maybe in the early part of his prime. But I think the, the argument for trading Siakam is, the team hasn't been very good. Now, maybe they'd be good if they could somehow trade Ananobi for, like, DeAndre Ayton, and it kind of kills two birds with one stone for each team. They finally get a big who just settles things down, is 
high floor, low ceiling, but just gives their roster some balance. But, you know, they don't want to trade Ananobi either. Some people are like, we, we can't trade OG. Um, Siakam, I think Siakam would get you a massive haul. I, I think it would it would approach Donovan Mitchell levels. Oh, my God. Sometimes you see something on Twitter and you're just like, you can't explain everything to everybody in the world. But I wrote, I was like, yeah, Siakam could fetch like Donovan Mitchell value in a trade because of how well he's playing. You know, he's going to get, you know, you know what I mean because you follow the NBA and you're, you know that he's going to go for a ton of picks and a couple of rotation players. And this guy responded with like their three-year VORP totals. And he's like, he's like, Siakam's nowhere near Mitchell's value. And he's like, listing their VORP. And I just want to be like, <laughs> I just wanted to go like full Gordon Ramsay, Hell's Kitchen. Like, you donkey. Like, it has nothing to do with their VORP. Oh, my God. I got so mad. And I was like, I just had to walk away from my phone. But You know what I will say, though, and what I've found, and like, we could make this a critique on Raptors fans. I don't want that smoke right now. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like they're, I don't know if it's more passionate. They're, they're more, they're more sensitive from what I found than, than most fan bases. But I also think that, um, you know, they have a real love affair with that team. And I respect that mm-hmm. Siakam. I mean, I, and I remember being guilty of this. I remember, I think have last year's top 100, like scaling him way down. You remember he'd, he'd been hurt the year well, before that. He had a weird couple years because he was fantastic headed into the bubble, cratered mm. in that Celtic series. Like they're running post ups, and it's just like, what the hell are they doing? Right. Then the next year, he does not really have a good year for the most part. There's rumors of him fighting with Nick Nurse, and it wasn't until like midway through last year where you're like, oh, Pascal Siakam's back. Yeah, and I I, I ended up voting him All NBA last season but you know going into last season he was coming off the injury and everything and it was like i i feel like there have been a lot of people in the league the last couple years where it's like you kind of forgot how good i was or what i was capable Mm -hmm. of and i i feel like he not only did that at the end of last season you know last half of last season but also this season it's like he's taken a leap and this is exactly when you unless you think this is like the guy or that you have the capacity to go and get the guy which maybe you do, and they had that opportunity, and they they decided they didn't want to trade Scotty Barnes for Durant, who's having an MVP level season. So it's not to say, it's not to say they can't do other things, but they had an opportunity to do something different that would have made them a, a a true contender. I think, especially when you look at how Durant has played, and you know, to be quite honest, how Scotty Barnes has looked kind of uneven, which is to be expected on some level with young guys. So they didn't want to go all the way in by giving up their youth. But now it would be a problem to like go all the way in on a retool or a rebuild by trading your best player who's not necessarily young anymore. Mm-hmm. He's not old, but he's I mean like this is when you get maximum value for somebody like that. Um so it's kind of like, well what are you doing then? Who would you be trading? And if you trade an Ananobi, okay, you would get something good back for him, but it's not going to make a probably not going to make a fundamental difference for this season. Um, I I don't know. I, I it it depends on how much better you think certain guys are going to be. It depends on how interested you are in having certain guys back. Van Vliet is also isn't he at the end of his deal this year? Um, so I I just don't know. Like it depends on what the aim is. Also, we could talk all day long about what the fans want, 
Masai Ujiri is going to do what, what he wants. And yeah. uh, I mean, like he's someone that generally has not been afraid to kind of look down the barrel of whatever it is. Um, he's been someone that I won't say he's unconcerned with how fans feel about someone, but obviously made the decision to trade DeMar to go get Kawhi, which in hindsight, duh. But also, you know, people had all sorts of questions about Kawhi, how healthy he'd be, right, right. whether he'd want to stay, which he didn't want to. And but they still want a title out of it. So, you know, like on some level, yes, the fans attachment to these guys matters. Uh, we've also had the okie doke before where we remember they did that whole uh, that big deal about uh, moving on from Lowry. And then the trade deadline came and went and Lowry was still a Raptor yeah. that year. So it may be that nothing happens because, you know, I also feel like Messiah is someone that is going to hold the line of this is what I need in return for these guys. And if you're not offering it, I'm not just going to give them away. So, you know, to be continued about what they do, but I don't think that they should be overwhelmingly afraid to deal Siakam. Um, because, I, I mean, let's just be honest. I don't think he's a, a, a great enough player right now, and I don't think he's going to get so great to where he's the best player on a title team. I don't think that's controversial to say mm. that. Um, and, and unless you're going to trade for, like, a Durant-caliber guy, which at that point your timeline's completely different because Durant is, what, 34? Right. Uh, unless you're doing that, I, I, I don't... You know, unless you're going to get that guy, I don't quite understand what you're gunning for right now. They could play better. They could shoot better. But I just don't see it with this iteration of this team. Right. right. Now. Or there's a hope that Barnes turns into that guy. But are you confident that Barnes, A, can turn into that guy, B, do it in time? Right. You know, because I think Siakam, if you did move him, you could, like I said, you could get a haul. Like you could be, you could remain competitive. It might help you in the long term so there are reasons for it but it is weird man because they've had injuries we we've not seen a ton of like precious achua with the starters so far this year or with the main guys like we've only like the i, I just looked it up because i'm like siakam van vliet ananobi trent and achua have played 30 minutes together um this year which is pretty crazy um I, I'm trying to find that lineup with Barnes in place of Achua, and it's like I, I I have to scroll down too far. Um, yeah, no, none of these groups have played big minutes together. Like you said, it's it's just been a weird year for them, right? Um, so I don't want to overreact, but and you know, you think about it, two years ago, you know, they had the Tampa year, they they've had some weird stuff happen to them. Yeah, but. A lot of the fans. I don't know why we're talking so much about the Raptors fans. Uh, they're in, they're, maybe listen, I am. It's it's a it's a vocal online community. There's no question about it. it. Like, and I I hate generalizing because people would do this thing during the big three era where they generalize about Heat fans, and I found it really annoying. So I don't yeah. like to generalize, but I will say when I write things, I notice some fan bases responding to them more often than others. And Raptors fans, there's at least like a they're whatever kind of Twitter. Thing they have going, they're more vocal than a lot of other fan bases. I, I, I mean, I remember um, going out there the year they traded for Kawhi. I was there for a preseason game, and mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting that um, the you know a bunch of uh, the Canadian media was there, and I think I was just sitting there for like a pregame meal, like in the dining room, and they started saying something, and I think I chimed in, which maybe I shouldn't have because you know I'm, I don't know any of them. And then they looked at my credential and saw that I was from the States and that I wrote for ESPN and 538 at the time. And they're like, well, what do you think? We're really interested to know what, like, you know, an American media member thinks. 
And like, they're just sitting there hanging on my every word. And I was like, you know, it doesn't really matter what I think ultimately. Um, So like, I I, I think that there, there is, like I said, I think there's a sense of at least a slight sensitivity to the way they're perceived. Uh, You know, I, I, I will admit that I think there've been times where because they're playing for a different country that uh, there's a cute aspect to it. I think that there's, for a lot of fans that watch them, NBA fans that watch them but don't see them much, they're not on national TV all that often because they, mm-hmm. you know, TV rating purposes, ESPN really doesn't want to. I don't think they benefit from TV ratings the same way when the game is taking place in Canada, certainly. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Um, you know, I, I I think it's fair that that, that they're a little bit sensitive. Um, but yeah, I, I I just think that my point I was going to make with the fans is that. They're very, very like I thought Nick Nurse as of like two years ago, certainly as they're coming off the title a year or two removed from that, that like he was just the guy that like could do no wrong in the eyes of the fans and, you know, what he'd accomplished and kind of very, very new age as far as the way he thinks about things, throwing random kitchen sink zones at Steph Curry and other people and other, you know, changing alignments from night to night, you know, keeping the team afloat with some of these weird lineups that we've talked about with weird styles of play. Um, it seems like the fan base is really souring on him to some extent because of the minutes that he plays these guys, um, because of the decision making from time to time, because of some of the 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 comments that he makes that are very, very pointed sometimes mm-hmm. um, about some of these guys. We talked about the Siakam feud for a while as well. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. It, it, it'll be interesting to watch going forward what happens exactly because um, it's not out of the realm of possibility by any means that this team looks the same next year. If you decided to trade two or three of these guys, which would be more than what I'm expecting at that point, it feels less like a retool and more like a rebuild, depending on who you get back. Um, if you decide to make that decision, this team looks totally different, but more so, you know, taking Toronto out of it and their fan base out of it, it more just shape reshapes the way we think about the title race, depending on who they trade with. Exactly. And, and- that's, that's ultimately what makes them so interesting because, there again, there's arguments for them to not do anything. Achua's played only 18 games. I finally found it. Van Vliet, Ananobi, Siakam, Barnes, and Achua, which I think a lot of people thought could have been their starting lineup this year. Three games in five minutes together. Wow. Yeah. You know, Achua's played only 18 games, but he hasn't played a ton with all the other guys. Um, Otto Porter, who I thought was a perfect pickup for them, Someone yeah. that every contender should have. He's out for the season now. Yeah, man, the Warriors so, really struck gold last yeah, year. Yeah, like they found the one healthy. healthy Otto Porter season. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so you know, there's arguments for them to kind of just roll it in next year and say we we can we're not going to be this snake bitten again. There's no way all these injuries happen. We still have so much talent. The problem is then you start running into next year's an expiring year for Siakam. Are you willing to give him – he's going to get max money. He's only going to be 29, 30 coming out of that year. Do, or do you give him the big extension and kind of lock yourself into an extent to Siakam as your lead guy with Barnes? Do you like their fit? Jeremy Wu was like, I would trade Siakam in our group chat, and we are kind of like, what's wrong with you? You're crazy. And – I mean, he he was kind of the first one who really, I think, said it. Credit to Wu, because he said this a long time ago. He was just like, they're just going to be on different timelines. And normally, I don't buy into that stuff. I'm like, keep your good players and figure it out. But 
I mean, they're really high on Barnes. And I think Barnes has not taken the leap some have expected this year, in part because Van Vliet's a guy who needs the ball. Gary Trent wants to shoot, and he's good at it. Siakam obviously needs the ball. Um, yeah, they're in an interesting spot. And, like, like if the Ananobi, like, man, to tell me a team that wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, oh, I think they're the favorites now if they traded for Ananobi. And isn't like, it wild to think that they, when they won that title, they won it basically without him? Without him, yeah. Uh, he missed, like, like, missed the whole finals, right? Yeah. I mean, he had the, what was it, ruptured spleen yeah. or whatever. It was like a crazy thing to think about. And granted, he was very young at the time. I mean, he's yeah. only 25 now, and that title was, what, four years ago? Yeah. Um, so, five, you know, four and a half years ago. So, I, I get it. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's... They're, I'll put it this way, as we've said repeatedly, and, and not to beat a dead horse, they're, they're the most interesting, intriguing yes. team. I thought for a minute the Bulls were right there with them too, mm-hmm. but they've, they're they firmly enough in the race if they can stay afloat while DeRozan is going to miss a little bit of time. I, I guess. I mean, but the Raptors and Bulls, it's so funny because perception is reality. The Raptors and Bulls have the same record, but the Bulls have been, like, after everyone said blow them up, have been playing so much better. yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the one other thing, too, with the Bulls, not that I expect it and not that they should, like, not make trades because of it. I don't know. It's also been something where there hasn't been so much transparency and so much clarity to where you can just rule it out. If they did ever get Lonzo Ball back and he could be healthy, and and it it, it sounds like that may be later end of the season or, like, maybe not even the season. If that's not going to happen, then they should – the Bulls – it would be a really proactive move to do it, but they should probably move off of some of their stuff too. But yeah, they, they do. The other thing is that the Bulls beat good teams often enough. Yeah, to where it's, it's like weird. You, you get They're these a weird team. Of with them, they're very, yeah, very absolutely. Weird the Lonzo thing really sunk this build. I don't think they would have been a championship team, but healthy Lonzo, they the they should have been a perennial seed. play. Should have been a perennial playoff team. I mean, they yeah. they fell off last year with injuries and home record and stuff, but they they were a good fun team, particularly when Lonzo was healthy. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man, it's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, 
more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All that sitting and swiping, our backs hurt, our eyeballs sting. That's our bodies adapting to our technology. But we can do something about it. We saw amazing effects. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. There's no turning back for me. Make 2024 the year you put your health before your inbox. And take the Body Electric Challenge. Listen to Body Electric from NPR on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Chris, I want to end with a little MVP talk. Because you mentioned this in your newsletter. Jokic, man, I, I thought he was going to take not a step back this season, but MPJ back, Jamal Murray back. I just thought Joker would be like, oh, this is fun. I don't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> not not anything. <laughs> I, don't have to, I don't have to do everything anymore. I thought he would be like, you know, I'm just going to chill. I'm, I'm barely going to shoot, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's shooting... His lowest field goal attempt since 2020, but the efficiency's off the charts. He's shooting almost 62% from the field, 61.8. He's averaging 25 points, 9.7 assists, and 11 rebounds. Like, he's very close to averaging a triple-double, and I know that Russell Westbrook and others have kind of cheapened that a little bit, but he's not gunning for it in a way that some guys are. He just... That that's just who he is. Uh, it's really remarkable. Oh man! And then you have a guy like Luca. I think KD was making a very good argument for himself before he got hurt. Tatum. I, the Celtics are so good as a team. I, I don't sound like I think Tatum would be a bad pick, but I think you're hearing a little less Tatum these days. So now that we're at halfway point, I feel like people are so scarred after last year. No one wants to talk MVP at all. Uh, But (laughs) I think the time is approaching a little bit. So I'm of the opinion that even if Jokic averages a triple-double and the Nuggets finish first in the West, he will not win it. Um, I don't think people are going to vote for him. I think it got weirdly charged last year. And I don't think people like the idea of giving him three straight MVPs before he's made the finals. So that's my take. What do you what do you make of the MVP race so far? Well, it's interesting because granted, we're um, you know we're, we don't have him on with us, but we had a meeting yesterday in which we were talking about this. You, you mentioned our NBA group meeting, and Howard Beck was obviously of of the opinion that like the voter fatigue thing is not. Um, is, is is like overblown because the the circumstances around when guys would have been eligible to to win a third one were different. You know, obviously LeBron's season where he went to Miami and there were a lot of people that, you know, just kind of viewed that situation and were like, no, oh, you know, LeBron, the way he left Cleveland. I think there probably was some of that, which makes it a fundamentally different thing. But when you look back at those numbers, it's like mm, he had a really good case, uh, mm-hmm. a, probably a stronger one than Derrick Rose had in all honesty. Um, but we're, we're watching the conversation about what we determine or what we root our decision-making in for MVP stuff on different things now. Um, 
maybe smarter things. And, uh, you know, the com- the comparison I made in our meeting yesterday was the Cy Young race, which used to be you had to have 20 wins and, yeah. you know, a decent ERA normally on a pretty good team. Now it's kind of more like you could be 11 and 14, but if you've got a 1.6 ERA compared to everybody else, you know, that's in the high twos or the low threes, you're probably going to win. If you just play for a team that can't score runs, it's really not your fault. And I think part of that, the start of that conversation was even like Russell Westbrook when he -hmm. played for like a a decent Oklahoma City team where he was clearly just spearheading everything they did, but doing it with big round triple-double numbers. So I I will say that is a quick transition for Russ to have triple-double numbers on the numbers he was doing with the efficiency he had versus Joker. Um, with the efficiency numbers he's mm-hmm. having, which are the best of his career on a first place team, to not consider him or not really firmly have him in that conversation, I think would be wrong. Um, I did not expect him to be in the conversation this year. I thought there was a chance his efficiency would be better, but I didn't think his numbers would still be this robust. You know, his counting statistics would still be this robust, given that he was going to be handling the ball less. Uh, with Murray back and, you know, and and granted with some other guys too that are capable of handling the ball a little bit here and there, whether it's KCP or Bruce Brown or what have you. Uh, but the truth is he's taken advantage of the fact that he's got more threats out there with him. His shots have become easier. Um, he's comfortable with what he's doing and he's still the best passer in the world by far. Yeah. So, I mean, he's playing like that and lo and behold, look, when Joker has his number two and number three yeah. options out there. The team is good and, and they're better than they have been the last couple of years because he's got his two and three options there. So I, I struggle a little bit with the idea that we can't at least strongly, strongly, strongly consider him for that. And obviously I don't need to tell you that. I know you feel the same way, but uh, I, I mean, I, I think he would get consideration for it. I just think it would force a, a real rethink on the award where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, if he, if he wins this one, does he get a fourth one? If he doesn't get a title, it shouldn't be based on whether you win titles or not, but it, it it does. I will say it becomes a very interesting conversation. It's also a very good reason that if you're the Mavericks, maybe slow down just a tad on Luca's minutes, man, because like Luca really does seem like the one other guy that, you know, I, I, Tatum deserves to be in the conversation, but let's be honest. If the Celtics weren't in first place, Tatum's numbers aren't so otherworldly relative to what he's done in the past certainly from an efficiency standpoint to where I think we would be having this conversation if, uh, if, if the Celtics weren't in first place. Yeah. Um, maybe that's a little bit harsh, but I kind of feel like Tatum similar to the way you remember the way Curry was last year, where he was like the front runner for so much of the beginning of last year. Mm-hmm. And then people looked at his numbers and they're like, actually his numbers aren't any better than what they've been before. It's like the Warriors are just out to a really hot start. And I kind of feel like we were doing a little bit of that with Tatum. The truth is everybody's scoring is a little bit inflated this year just because the league is going faster. The take foul has been removed. Like there's, you know, so I don't know. I say all that to say. I agree that the the take foul is the reason for Jason Tatum's scoring bump. I just want to put that out there. Oh wow! Uh, don't, please, I don't. You, you. I swear, you throw bait out there for fan bases to just come like f up our DMs, our our mentions, um, our emails. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you. You obviously know what I'm saying. I, I know what you're saying. I just am distraught about how good Jason Tatum has played so far this season. Agent of chaos. Yeah. yeah. 
It's interesting, man. If you had to bet right now, if I'm going to give you, I think, a question I've offered a few people before on this podcast, um, you bet all your life savings and you lost, but now you're giving one chance to go double or nothing to save yourself and your family. Who are you betting to win MVP in this scenario? Good Lord, man. Um, <laughs> they, send the name you, of the- they sent you pictures of your family. They're like, we know where they live. Why did you put me in the middle of a Taken movie? What the hell? <laughs> um, I mean, at this point right now, it's it's really hard to go against Joker right at this point yeah. right now, if we're being completely honest. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I probably would right now in this moment. I would probably go with Joker, which I didn't see coming. But I, I'm also projecting forward that, like, we know Durant's not going to play for another month. I think right. he would have a pretty solid case for him at this point. Um, you know, if it, if we were stopping the argument right now, mm-hmm. um, but you know, he's obviously not going to play. So yeah, um, I, I think it probably is Joker. Like, if we're projecting over like the next two three weeks, uh, yeah, that's that's probably the reality of it for right now. Mm. Crazy. I kind of. I'm throwing you. We gotta get going here, but I want to throw one last thing out there at you. Yeah. Is there some world in which the Nuggets can trade Michael Porter Jr. for like? Would you do? I don't. I don't know that the Raptors would do this. Let me start there. But and maybe you'd have to add in some pieces here to make the salary work. But if the Nuggets called the Raptors and were like Michael Porter Jr. for OG Ananobi. What do you think of that move? Mm. I I think really long and hard about it. I mean, I I probably do it. We don't know what what's OG's contract. So he's he's up after this year. What is his contract status? I believe so. Let me take a look. Um, um that's probably the only thing I'd want to know is what what his situation is. Uh, he's four years, seventy-two. But when when is he up? He's no, he's a free agent in twenty twenty-five. Oh wow! So he's okay. got he's got uh no 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 okay yeah I'm doing that. So at that point though, because of that, you're gonna have to throw in other stuff if you're Toronto, other filler to make it work because I think Porter's making more money than that. Yeah yeah he's like as a max guy. Max guy. So yeah. so I mean if if Denver or I'm sorry if, if Toronto's got to throw in even more than that, and maybe you're getting maybe one even one other decent player for it. Yeah, sign me up because it's it's my concern with Porter is not that I mean he'll he'll always if he's healthy he'll always do what he does which is make shots at you know when he's open. Um but you I I worry maybe you don't but I do in a playoff series at a high level where you're playing against a really good team someone's going to be able to make you pay for his inability to defend. Of course I worry about it. <laughs> I mean, um, hey, yeah. man, maybe maybe you like his defense more than and, and to be fair, at times over the years, like, you know, if you, if you if, again, if you're threatening my family, I could maybe find 10, 12 <laughs> good defensive clips of him over the last few years. He has enough length and he has enough bounce to make a play, but he has to be engaged enough. And I just think, and I've said this before, um, his IQ from a basketball standpoint just isn't there. Like he's a polar opposite from OG, and I think that you benefit, particularly during a deep playoff run, you benefit from having a bunch of guys like that. We saw that with Boston last year. We've seen it with the Warriors for years. We've seen it with the Celtics. We've seen it with the Suns. Um, Denver has some of those guys, but I feel like OG is a clear upgrade from an IQ standpoint 
no matter what you think of their basketball ability, but then he's also a very good balanced basketball player. So you would make that trade in light of where OG's contract is, and especially if you're having to get one more throw in from that, uh, who knows what it would be. So, so I mean, they, they the salaries would work if Denver sent MPJ for Thad Young and OG, because I don't think the Raptors can give up like another player in that deal. Probably think, not. And I think most people would agree. I, I I take that young though. Like I would take yeah, that. Like for sure. he's an older I, guy. He's not at this yeah. point in his career. It's not why you're getting him, but I would take him as just a guy. The Nuggets would have to figure out how to sweeten that deal because I don't think they're doing OG for MPJ straight up. It's a big contract. I don't. I'm I'm less worried about the health concerns. Maybe other teams are not, but with Porter, yeah, with MPJ, he had the back I, stuff. The bigger thing is just like like you were saying, where it's like they probably have to sweeten that a little bit, just because I I don't feel like he's he's lengthwise he's like a Raptors sort of player, but nothing else. I mean, he's yeah, a great um, shooter, he can, but he doesn't fit anything about what the rap the, their ethos is like a defense at all for sure. But I mean, he can fill it up. I mean, absolutely. Um, and he he hasn't ever really been cut loose either. You know what I mean? It's like he's playing next to Jamal. He's playing next to Joker. You know, he's like, we've had that conversation before. I don't know if it's if it was you and me or me and Michael, but he I mean, the thing that's really stunning about him uh, and I'd have to look at his his exact numbers this year to see like what number of his um, his makes have been assisted relative to the last couple years. But he's pretty much had I mean, he's he's had that auto Porter experience really of just like you get to play off a guy or two that are like either an all-star borderline all-stars and Beal and John wall. And generally speaking, you've never had to be the guy shots are created for you. You kind of get to stand there. Maybe we screen for you occasionally, but you just kind of get to be a guy like, okay. 95% of his threes this season have been assisted. 90% of his threes last season, 92% of his threes the year before 84% 84% of his threes as a rookie. Um, yeah. You know, like that's the sort of ecosystem he's lived in. So it is interesting when you talk about turning him loose, cutting him loose. I agree with you. Like it's very clear. I mean, he at one point was considered the number one player in his class until he had the back stuff. But I, it's been a while since anybody's like asked him, to, like, go get me a basket. Yeah. And that's where I think people struggle is when you're giving him a max, when you're giving Otto Porter a max, which that was a huge flashpoint debate several years ago when the Wizards did that, that's when it becomes an issue and a big question. Is like, can you max someone that can't go get his own basket? And maybe he can. He just hasn't been relied upon to do yeah. it. Um, so I, I'd be curious. It would be very interesting to say, we're going to cut you loose or we're going to turn you loose to see what you can do without a, a, another big name creator doing it for him because we just haven't I, seen him have to do it before. I, listen, I'm not saying he's like I don't think scoring is an issue for this guy. He's a career 40% shooter from three at mm-hmm. 41.6. This, this is his last year he played only nine games or throwing that out. This is his worst career shooting season from three and on 6.7 attempts a night he's shooting 40.6%. That's, I mean, and he's a young kid. Still. Yeah, like he I mean, can. It's, I, yeah, I, I'm not saying like Denver's holding him back, but 
if he if he needed to go score twenty five at night, I think he could do it. I don't He's think capable it'd be a problem of more for than MPJ. Yeah, yeah. I, I I will say I think you I won't say you downplayed it, but I think you have less concern about his long term health than I do. Like I yeah. especially if you're asking him to be more of a guy than he is as far as as creating stuff, uh, because that's more physically strenuous than standing still and shooting. Uh, also, if he ever defends, it has to crouch down with that back of his. Uh, you know, might put some more strain on his back, but it would also give you a better defense. So we'll see. He's he's certainly. I mean, I I remember writing last year that for me he was very clearly one of like the swing the biggest swing players mm-hmm. in the league. Of just like if he plays well and can do more than what he's done in past years as a as a a guy that can get his own shot. And if mm-hmm. he ever develops that when he's on the same team with Jokic. Uh, all of a sudden, we don't need to see Jokic in an MVP race for them to win a title. Or we could, you know, you could more easily justify Jokic being in the, the, you know, in the MVP race because he probably would win a title because yeah. of the other stuff that uh, Porter could do. So we'll see. We'll see. MPJ is an interesting one for me because I've said on this podcast before. I still wonder, and I don't think he's a bad player, and they've been all right with him defensively this year. But if they find someone who's a slightly worse shooter but a way better defender, it could be. Absolutely. Huge for them. But that will be one of many things we are watching in the second half. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out today. Thank you for hopping on my Be Real. Uh, My friends really appreciate it. Uh, Until (laughs) next time, everyone, please continue to enjoy the NBA season. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like jazz bassist Christian McBride. Jazz is based on improvisation, but there's very much a form to it. You have a conversation based on that melody and those chord changes. So it's kind of like giving someone a topic and say, okay, talk about this. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.